and welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we're Qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our fever... fever. Oh. <laughs> you give oh. me fever. <laughs> <laughs> when you talk about your favourite people, places and events. <laughs> um, we, we all, you, you know it by now, gang. You know it Instagram, by now. websites, all of that guff. All of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I went into that with confidence as well. You did. I felt that, and then it just and my, uh, the brain and the mouth did not flat. connect. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness me! Aren't we useless. Well, I'm useless this week. Anyway, how are you, my darling? I'm good. Yeah, I've got my Christmas tree up. I'm looking at it right now. Lovely. It's chilly yes. now, isn't it? It's definitely winter. It is definitely winter. Well, I think we've got a bit of snow coming. <gasps> I know. I'm so excited by that prospect. Yeah, they've got like all the fake snow cannons in Covent Garden at the moment, <laughs> which blast out, you know, once every hour or something. I took Carmen. It was so magical. Oh, but well, yeah, she gets the real stuff this week. She gets the real stuff. Hopefully, this anyway. Week. Fingers Hopefully. crossed. Yeah, yeah. How are you? I'm very well. Um, what have I to update you on? I went to Kew Gardens, the Christmas at Kew Lights the other day, oh, which was nice. fantastic. The Illuminations. Really yes, the Illuminati. Mm. It was brilliant. Um, busy, but very, very nice. Yeah. And it's, um, well, I don't think I've got anything else really to update. I've just been working and sleeping mm. and eating occasionally in between. <laughs> all of it, really. I thought mm. there's something I do need to tell you, but I can't remember. Well, anyway. It will come back to you, babes. Nah, it probably won't. Or in the middle of the night and I'll well, be shouting yeah. at you. Well, hopefully we'll get this out before the end of Wednesday. We were having some tech issues this week, including my computer, which decided it didn't want to be a computer anymore. Um, but hopefully we're going to smash through this and get it out before midnight so we're still in the <laughs> Wednesday bubble, even if it's only by a couple of seconds. Exactly. That means we've got, oh, what's that? One hour and 38 minutes. Yeah, so we have to crack on. We have to crack on. <laughs> okay, right. Alex, what were we talking about last week? And what were we talking about last week? We, You were talking about the fabulous um, Henry Welcome and the Welcome mm. Collection and the whole section that's all about him, um, in the medicine man bit. Um, and it was fabulous. I really enjoyed it. Bits, I, Loads of bits I didn't know in there. Oh, thanks, yeah, babes. Really good. Um, podcast pedestal for last week. Uh, we've, I mean, we've probably gone through all of our chat this week. We haven't done any chat or any, any shout outs. Straight into the pedestal. Come on, let's get it done. Come on. <laughs> um, wh- what was your pick? So my pick was the tabloid tablet. Yes. You know, the very fact that they had created this tablet, you know, the first kind of tablet form of medicine. And they called it a tabloid, which you just wouldn't associate with a tablet or no. medicine these days. So, yes, I, I went for that. Yes. And what even, did you Even for? though you called it a tabloid to split. <laughs> yes, which you I'll enjoyed telling me. Poll. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> yes, if you, uh, if you voted on the poll, on the Instagram <laughs> poll, you will notice that yet again... <laughs> My fast fingers spelt it wrong. So it was to split. Oh, but um, there are many reasons to love you, Emily, and your your My spelling, spelling is not is... one of them. <laughs> it's um, a delight. It's a delight. Um, and I went for the, the crest, the Dartford crest, which had the tabloid pill thing on it uh, as part of it. Um, and it was pretty unanimous this week. It was a whole 69 to 31%. <gasps> oh, it was a, an absolute landslide um, for you, my darling. <gasps> yes! She won! 
long one, folks. <laughs> Try not to scream too much and wake the baby. Yeah. Back in the game. Although, Back in the game. I was out walking with my friend Katie, who listens to the pod. Hi, Katie. Hi, Katie. Um, and she did bring up at one point, she said, so so what is the score between you and Emily at the moment? And I said, oh, I can't remember exactly. Well, when did you go for a walk with her? Because I told you last week. I know, but I, you know, I have a very, very little brain. Um, I went for a walk on Sunday with her. What what, what were we last week? I think it was 17, it was, I, mean, I say this now, where did I write it? It was 1722, I think, 2017 to you. It was something along those lines. And yeah, I don't... So Katie I, brought up the 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 fact that well, there's no way Emily can win this year, then, is there? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> the realization has just hit me. Wait, hang on a minute. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, something this is like that. Unbelievable. Wait, <laughs> hang on a minute. So we've only got one we, week left to go of the year, and so we uh, start. We start a new podcast pedestal. I think this we did that is last um, year. Um, Katie, thank you very much for. Um, bringing ruining, it, ruining I, Emily's day. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't matter if I've won today because I've completely lost. Who won last year's one? Um, do you know what? I think it was a draw. Was it? I've got a feeling it was a it was a snazzy tie. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm romping home with it this year, babe. Sorry. <laughs> you are. Well, you know, we'll fully reveal it next week. You never know what might happen. We might shift out about eight pods in the space of a week. And maybe next week it counts for five or something. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Well, well <laughs> done on your win. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Well I deserved. feel like it wasn't really a win now, but... <laughs> it absolutely was. So where are we off to this week, Alex? Uh, well, this week we're going to one of my favourite little spots. Um, we're going back to Smithfield. And in mm. particular, now we spoke yonks ago. I mean, re- I think probably the first year of the podcast. Um, it was one of your weeks. You talked about the Mayfair, after which is named, you know, the area of Mayfair. Mm. Um, but there is a lesser known fair. Or I say lesser known. It's lesser known now but it wasn't at the time. It was much more mm. known, uh, called Bartholomew's Fair. Mm. Hang on, I've got to put the dog out. Give me a sec. <laughs> she's gone. She's gone. She came in because I, I was eating pizza and she was like, oh, food. Oh. Right, so now that the dog's gone, uh, Bartholomew's Fair. So um, the Mayfair, I don't know, do you remember how many years the Mayfair ran for? I feel like it was quite... It must have been quite a long time for them a to, you know, develop the name and yeah. But I can't remember. I feel like this is a longer running fair. It dates back to the 12th century. Oh wow! And was only um, abolished in the sort of mid 1800s, really. So the fair goes all the way back to 1133. If your cast reminds back, um, when the king at the time, who was Emily? Remember who the king was back then? 1133. It wasn't King John, was it? No. It was 12.09. Um, Just before lunch. Oh, my God. Who was it? Edward I? No, another first. Um, Henry I? Henry I, absolutely. Henry I. Henry the first, so he's the he's the big dog that gives it the um the thumbs up. He issues a license um for this fair to happen, um all in the area of Smithfield that we're talking about today, and he gives the license to a guy who used to be, um one of the former court 
uh, jesters, jugglers, entertainers. Do you know who this man is? Quite well linked to hmm. Smithfield. He became a monk. I say former because he became a monk. Oh, I, like, I don't know. Rahia. Oh, monk. I know you were going to talk about Rahia. So, oh, oh, I didn't realise he was a court jester. Originally, yeah. That's why he started out, you know, doing tricks and making the king laugh and all making this kind of thing. Making people laugh and then, uh, mm. well, I won't give it away, but... Uh, and, then, uh, oh. and, then, and then, and I think he actually... Magic fingers. Of, he, okay. Uh, <laughs> 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 I think he actually um, sort of did a bit of both at the same time. He seemed to not quite give up his uh, circusing, clowning when he became, when he started monking. Um, is that a word? It, it is now. It's a verb. Let's go with it. Um, so he created this charter and gave it to Rahir that on the eve, the day and the morrow of the Feast of St. Bartholomew, famously, what date is that, Emily? <laughs> Testing your feast days now. If you know this, I'll be impressed. Oh my God, I'm going to say the 21st of April. Oh, close to the 24th. date, 24th of April. Oh, I was going to say 24th. Oh, yeah, but it's but August, August, not April. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he basically said that that, it could be a three-day uh, well, uh, party. It wasn't actually a party to start with. It was more of a market. And they created this huge market. And the profits from this formed a great part of what was used for the maintenance of the canons. Now, we're not talking canon boom we're talking canons of the church um this this doesn't mean that it, it found or funded the whole monastery um because there was all sorts of other income but it funded the kind of the canons um who were part of the monastery and it it was only about a tenth of their income but still it, you know it was, a, it was a pretty decent income and originally the fair was held within the walls of the not the actual church itself but the walls of the church area you know how they used to have a sort of enclosed yeah. mm -hmm. um, what was known as the close i think really in a lot of cases um probably on the area of the graveyard which sounds really weird now but wouldn't quite have been as sacrilegious back then um in fact at one point it's it's on record that there were even stalls within the church itself so this seems like quite a big kind of big thing for the the church space but it was all kind of within the confines of the church now okay I'm going to read you the charter because um, it's quite nice, actually. It's quite sweet. The charter reads, I grant my firm peace to all persons coming to and returning from the fair, which is wont to be celebrated in that place at the Feast of St. Bartholomew. And I love this bit. And I forbid any of the royal officials to impede such persons um, on the eve of the feast, the feast itself and the day following to demand customary tolls in passing over ways or bridges either without the city or within from those resorting there so basically if you're going to or from the fair and you're crossing a bridge that is normally a toll bridge during those three days they can't request the toll from you it's free yeah wow oh i like it yeah i'll have two tickets please absolutely i mean how you're how you're sort of proving you're getting to the fair i'm not quite sure um but basically yeah so it, it was almost like um fair that sold for the most part it was fabrics and clothes and things like that and it was described as somewhere where for these three days, the um, I'm going to read you this little quote as well, which was written actually a bit later in the 1500s, but described what it was all about. To which the clothiers of all England and drapers of London repaired and had their booths and standings within the churchyard of the Priory, closed in with walls and gates, locked every night and watched for safety of men's goods and wares. And then I love this bit, a court of pie powders was holden daily during the fair for debts and contracts. So that first bit, 
clearly it's not just a London thing. Your fabric merchants, your drapers are coming from all over the country. They're coming down to um, Bartholomew's Fair. They are selling their wares. And crucially, because it's within the confines of the church, it's all pretty safe and secure. Do you know what a quart of pie powders is? I was going to ask, a quart of pie powders? And it is literally pie-powders. That is how it's written. Oh, so, I mean, it, it seems a bit too obvious to kind of go with the food pie. Yeah, it's nothing to do with food. Mm. It is... And I was trying to find out where the word pie powders comes from. It seems to kind of come vaguely from the French, but it really moves around a lot. Um, the pronunciation of it, the spelling of it, it's a bit mad. Mm. But basically, it's a special kind of court in England organised by a borough when a feral market is happening. Um, and these courts are they're very specific. They only have jurisdiction. And in fact, they have unlimited jurisdiction over stuff that happens in the market. So disputes between merchants, thefts, you know, punch-ups, falling out, things like that. And they were very quick and they were very short and very informal. Mm. Um, so you're, in the 12th century, they had to make a decision within a day and a half um, of the accusation. So it's in, out, sort it out, on you go. Wow. Because once the market's done, this this mini court is kind of disbanded. It's only it's there yeah. during yeah. during the market time, or you know, might have run over a little bit to, to sort of clear up any wrinkles, I suppose. Um, and if the the court, you know, will rule and they will say, look, you're guilty of this, that, and the other. You have to pay whatever. You have to return the goods, or you have to pay a fine, or whatever it might be. And if you couldn't pay, then your property could be seized and sold to cover the costs. And it was described as these pie powder courts. And this is not just at Bartholomew's Fair. This is literally all over England and in Scotland in some, at some um, times in history, specifically where there's a fair or a gathering over, you know, a certain period of time. They just kind of like, oh, just like do a bit of local local legal stuff. You know, what goes on in the fair <laughs> kind of stays in the fair, stays really. in the fair. And they were described as the lowest and at the same time the most expeditious court of justice known to the law of England. Oh. it's kind of fun it, yeah, almost, it is. it's not these places aren't lawless but they sort of are because they've got their own law yeah it's just like for it, just a couple of days and then it just, just vanishes yeah exactly exactly wow. they just literally go right we're going to sort this out main church main courts don't have to deal with this we'll get it done in knock it out in a day fine boom sorted gosh really cool isn't it yeah i love that idea I yeah love yeah, it. yeah so we have to talk a little bit about rahia um given that he's the kind of the basis of all of this. So Rahia um, is the guy who actually builds not just St. Bartholomew's Church, which some of our listeners might have been to. It is one of my favourite places in London. Oh, it's so atmospheric. It's stunning, isn't it? But he mm. also built St. Bartholomew's Hospital, one of the oldest hospitals in London. Mm. Um, when Henry I was King of England, um, Henry was in, in mourning. There, there was a bit of a a bit of a rubbish time for him, really. His wife, Matilda, died. Two years later, his heir, Prince William, was drowned. And everyone's a little bit blue, basically. The court's all a bit sombre. It's it's not particularly fun. And so Rahir, in his, obviously, having done his clowning and tumbling and this, that and the other, it's not having any effect. And he's going, he goes, I know what will cheer you all up. I'm going to naff off on pilgrimage to Rome. I don't know why he thought that would cheer everyone up, but apparently it did. You know? <laughs> maybe he, he goes, was obsessing everybody. Maybe. And was like, yeah, he's gone, thank goodness. So <laughs> he's like, I'm going to go over there on a pilgrimage. It's going to make everyone feel really good. 
it's going to be great and he gets down to Jerome and he is struck down with a huge really really bad illness um while he's lying there in his feverish state he sees a vision of St Bartholomew who comes to him and says go back to London create a hospital for the poor and when he comes out of his you know fever whatever it is and he recovers he comes back to London and he does exactly that he creates St Bartholomew's hospital then he creates the church and the monastery that goes along with it and towards the end of his life the hospital is already running so when he's coming towards the end of his life and he is dying and in need of um, medical help he is actually cared for at the hospital which is rather lovely I think it's lovely do you know where he's buried I I want to say that he's buried at St Bart's he is Mm, absolutely yeah, St Bart's so. the Great he's buried up by the altar so if you go into the church you come up the nave the last sort of big impressive tomb that's up by the altar on the left hand side that is him and so he he did he set this hospital up he set this um, monastery of the canons these Augustinian canons and he serves as both the prior of the priory and the master of the hospital for a while um, now in 1539 priory was dissolved this is the dissolution of the monasteries under henry the eighth and the nave of the church uh, is demolished a lot of the monastic buildings kind of stick around for a while um and bits and pieces of i mean the church is still a, a working church but it's not as big as it used to be and in the 1800s we know from church records that a huge renovation work started in the church and the story goes that the tomb of rahia is opened now this is what 700 years later gildake and the canopy of, of the top of the tomb has crumbled. So what they're doing is they're opening it to sort of rejig it and do this, that and the other. And inside, he's lying there, the founder's skeleton, he's in there, he's undisturbed and he's still wearing his sandals, his monk's sandals. Now, the story goes that a workman decided it would be really funny to nick one of the sandals. So he steals it, including the foot bones as well. No. I mean, I mean that's not funny, is it? Like sandal. No. Okay, I don't know where your humour is, love, but but the toes as well. It's like I know. Oh, but we have we have talked about these Victorians and their weird sense of humour and very it's kind of true, you know, slightly macabre sense of humour. Anyway, Gosh. so a few days later, this guy returns to the church and he is just white as a sheet. And he says he he gives the shoe back to the um, church warden and he says, "Look, I stole this a few days ago. Ever since I stole it, I have been." horribly ill my whole family's been horribly ill and i think i've sort of cursed myself um somewhere along the lines rahir's bones i i don't know whether the guy returned them or they've just been misplaced within time but they are no longer in the tomb and since that tomb was unearthed uh rahir's ghost has been seen walking through the church on moonlit nights i know i know so he's kind of still there um, and if anyone hasn't visited and you want to, it is, you will have seen it in movies. It's the church in Four Weddings and a Funeral where Hugh, Hugh Grant finally gets married to Duckface. It's in Shakespeare in Love. It's in Elizabeth the Golden Age, The Other Boleyn Girl. It's in the Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes movies. I think it's the is it Tomb of Shadows or something, which is mm. the second one, I think. It's in, it's in a ton of stuff. So you will have seen it. But if you're in the area go in and visit it's it's incredible do. it's like a tim burton fantasy it's so it kind of is kind of gothic and eerie and there's this little balcony that's arched at the top yeah, yeah it's lovely so it's a it's a uh, well norman or romanesque style of architecture which there are not many of uh, mm. in london 
Um, it's beautiful, and it's it's high church, so they use all the bells and smells, and it's 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 lovely. Bells um, and the smells, <laughs> and it does. It always smells of incense when you go in there. It's yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of Rahia, and um, this church they'd created. So it's obviously this this lovely part of the community, and the fair was originally around what was the northwest side of the church and that's where the west entrance into the fair was that bit doesn't exist anymore but it came in from a street called cloth fair now cloth fair takes its name from all of this cloth that was sold at bartholomew's fair Mm. so this is where you know i love this thing about london where you the clues are all there you just have to know where to scratch where to look a little bit um the gate and the gateway have since gone but it's at that point that the proclamation was read every time that the fair opened now the proclamation was enormous but it, it you know involved this guy coming out a sort of town crier type person who'd do the oi yay oi yay oi yay bit at the start um and yeah he kind of goes through and, and and goes through all the little rules and everything and then this massive long list of stuff um that they can do and so this was basically the greatest annual market of wool and cloth for the country in in for for monastic times basically and so, so many people must have gone wow oh, yeah. yeah i mean you know yeah. if you had people kind of doing that journey because they thought they were going to make um make a little bit of profit yeah absolutely yeah, it must have been so absolutely. big so hence the name cloth fair and then later on we get other things that start to be sold like leather and pewter and things like that and there used to be a street now it's gone now it's it's um uh i think it's I think it's been renamed and part of the street doesn't exist anymore either. Um, and it was known as Rugman's Row. So we assume that rugs were sold there too. Yeah. You know, it's all part of this wool trade. It's all of this. Yeah. And woolen trade has been one of the staples of England's, well, the backbone of their of our sort of, well, trade industry for, for centuries, particularly in the 13th and 14th centuries. And so what it means is that whereas the Mayfair was all a bit kind of, rowdy and and people kept trying to shut it down and it supported around a lot yeah the cloth fair or the bartholomew's fair was safeguarded so if you think it started in the 1100s went all the way through to the 1800s actually maybe even slightly to the 1900s and there were all sorts of jostling and statutes that were passed dealing with all kinds of things like fabric sold in the city of london or taxes or the rights of the market being given to the king or whatever it was land rights and this that and the other and the market was always dealt with as an exemption from these things so if there were new taxes that came in on cloth it would be like taxes on cloth oh unless you're at the market for those three days in which case you're right. fine stuff like that so whatever it was that was brought in which you could think well that's going to kill off the market it would always have a bit that goes unless it's bartholomew's market in which case mm-hmm. it's fine so i quite like that and Rahia, when it, when the fair started, he used to go to the fair himself and do some juggling. He used to kind of keep keep oh, himself in the, really? in the yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh. I mean, that yeah. must have been quite fun because he must have been a bit of a celebrity of the day. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, to see him kind of, you know, Donny's jester hat again. Be like, oh, oh, here oh, he comes! It's it's, 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 it's the monk it's coming here. out, the tumbling monk, or whatever. <laughs> the tumbling monk. Um, now, originally, I said that it was in the church grounds and it grew. It grew quite considerably. It spread out quite a lot. And there started to be these disagreements about who was going to pick up the tab. Um, and eventually, so in after about 300 years of trying, the ownership of it 
went into the hands of the City of London Corporation and then was opened every year by the Lord Mayor. So having gone from it being the church who oversaw it and who brought in profit from it, it yeah, the, the City of London Corporation had tried time and time again to just be like, oh, no, but this, and then the church would be like, what and there was a bit where they were sort of half half owned it and different people sort of owned bits of the market. It was all very complex. But in the end, everyone sort of gave it all to the City of London Corporation. And, and that's who, who sort of owned it for the last few hundred years. But it was really, really huge. And so this time in, in August, but eventually, for reasons that I'm not 100% sure about, they moved it to September. And it became a little bit longer. It became about four days squeaking into five and this is where it became more than just a cloth market more than just a place where people went and, and bought it became more of a kind of mayfair style of things of things so you had thousands of people who would go and there would be you could still buy all your stuff there mm. um, but there'd be stuff like tumblers and acrobats and tightrope walkers um exotic animals and boxing shows and puppet shows maybe the puppet decapitations back who knows i was just thinking yes maybe all kinds of stuff and the gingerbread's back we talked about the gingerbread on yeah. the um episode about the frost fairs on the river gingerbread's back you know sausages puddings hot pies people got horribly sloshed um you know horrifyingly drunk and the authorities started to you know get their knickers in a twist about it as well and all this kind of thing they had performing monkeys and caged tigers and you name it i mean just a ton of stuff they were astrologers who'd come and they'd give you your horoscope and do palm readings and all this oh, wow. sort of thing. And, oh it sounds so much quack. fun it does sound funny you've got quack doctors who are hawking you remedies and and people you know giving you all these sort of weird potions for curing this that and the other yeah um you know, anyone who was selling food you know would come along and they'd be selling tobacco pipes all this sort of stuff huge big roast porks that you could wander and, and eat there'd be Gosh. toys and by animals and puppies and there were singing birds in cages and um just absolute chaos it would have been really quite amazing and of course in amongst all that you get your pickpockets and all your you know your your, your gangs and, and yeah. your gangs and all of that in fact prostitutes used to um they were very almost like a, a permanent part of the market they had these tents which were called soiled doves no. Yeah. And so that's that where you could go. That was not their name. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. Soiled yeah. doves. Yeah, so the, the tents would be labelled oh. soiled doves, and so you'd know that's what you did. Or they would go to the oh, nearby lane um, called Cock Lane, which was uh, the Red Light <laughs> District, which is always one that makes people of laugh. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh. And then you get another thing coming into the fair, which is theatre. So from sort of late 1600s, really, I mean, very late, into the talking 1690s onwards really um you start to get a place where actors are like hey this is changing there's all kinds of stuff happening and actors start going oh let's go and put on some plays we can earn some money and it always fell during this period of the year where the theatres would close annually mm. um so they're like well let's go to the fair and you would have um huge actors from places like the theatre royal drury lane or well drury lane theatres it was then known who appeared on these, they'd sort of set up these little theatrical booths. I imagine them a little bit like a Punch and Judy booth, you know, something like that, but a bit bigger. Mm -hmm. And they would come and they would do all these big, big plays. And they'd often be quite short and quite comedic and farces and pastiches and things like that. And a bit of song and a bit of dance. So not your full play, but almost a bit like the Edinburgh Fringe, you know, like an hour or short ones that everyone's just going to go and see. And you start to get not just your merchants coming, not just your 
you know, folk in, in the street, but you get the Prince of Wales in the 1700s. Gosh. Royal princesses come in and they have to often come in incognito as well. Mm. They come and watch some of these, these because, you know, the theatre has always brought in the great and the good. So they come and watch these plays. Yeah. Um, Head into the soil doves, like, I expect. Well, who knows? <laughs> possibly comment on that. Get some pork and head to the soil I doves. I know, right? Uh, and, uh, and one of our favourite ones that we've spoken about, The Beggar's Opera. Even oh. had, It was done in a shortened version, but it was, it was put on there in 1728 and got, you know, very, very good reception, which is rather lovely. The theatre's... Theatre sections cause a little bit of an issue. There's quite a big event in 1749 where, um, well, actually I say it's a theatre. I don't know if it is a theatre. It's one of the booths that's quite a large one. Um, and there were too many people in there and it collapsed and killed a couple of people and wounded <gasps> a few others. Oh, um, So, yeah, the when the, the um, whole fair moves into September, this slightly messes with the theatres because... August is when they're shut, September is when they're starting to open again. So when they move into September, it becomes less attractive for the theatre people. So they they start to go a little bit less. Mm. Um, and then, of course, as they leave, then the high society start to leave. And then it kind of goes back down a little bit into mostly stuff for kids and a bit of popular stuff as well. And things calm down a little bit in the late 1700s. So, so it actually changes quite a lot. But there are a couple of quite big things that happened during the fairs. Now, one of them is something that we both talk about on our Smithfield Walk when we do them, which is wife selling. Oh, yes. Now, this is something that doesn't just happen in London. It happens all over England. And when you say, like a wife market, that they're selling their wives, people are like, that's outrageous. But actually, it happened for centuries. And in fact, the very last one that we're aware of happened in 1913 in Leeds. <gasps> Was it really 1913? Yes. Do we it's know amazing. the lady in question? Um, we probably do. I, I wasn't. I wasn't going to spend too much time looking into that. To be honest, that's possibly one for another day. Um, but why selling? It sounds really awful. But if you think about it, divorce wasn't really a, a thing, or definitely wasn't easy to get, even if it was a thing. So it was quite easy way of ending a marriage that was nobody was really happy with, and and. You know, usually the wives are going to be in on this. They're like, yeah, it's fine. I don't want to stick around. <laughs> Sell and me, God. Exactly. Please. So you've got, you know, you've got divorced, but you basically have to be really, really rich to, to be able to afford it. And in fact, there is, this is part of the, in fact, the main story of Thomas Hardy's novel, The Mayor of Casterbridge. Mm. And in that, the central character sells his wife at the very beginning. And then the rest of the story is about how it sort of haunts him and ultimately destroys his life, really. Um, what they would do is they'd parade the wives around with a halter around her neck or her arm and then they would basically auction her to the highest bidder. So it sounds really reductive, but it sounds it was actually awful, a way of... You, you'd go, wouldn't you? I mean, you know. Yeah. You'd go. Yeah, you'd go and watch. And <laughs> you'd go and there's watch. no kind of legal basis for this, but... And yeah, it can't, pie powder it, not getting involved here. Well, pie powder probably wouldn't. The real courts probably would and a lot of them did result in prosecution particularly well not not so much earlier on but from the sort of yeah 19th 19th century onwards really um that's when they start to you know get a bit more um interested in prosecuting this but yeah it's um one guy in the 19th century a magistrate actually says on record i don't actually think i've got the right to prevent the selling of wives so <gasps> i don't think anybody quite knew where it stood legally 
Gosh. I mean, go. putting it, did you say something around their neck? Yeah, a halter around their neck oh, or their arm. I mean, that's, their waist or something. that's just awful, isn't it? I know, it's, it's really, it's really demeaning. Them like cattle. It's really demeaning. But, mm. you know, I guess it's all about the, you know, people who are at this fair, they're not, it's about theatrics, isn't it? It's yeah. quite mad. Yeah. But there's one very, very famous thing that happened there as part of uh, one of these fairs on August the 23rd, so the eve of the mm. fair. So that would be the first day of these three days of fair um, in 1315. Can you think of anything super famous that happened in that area on the 23rd of August, 1315? Oh, we're not. Oh, no, we're too early for what, Tyler? Too early for what Tyler? Too early, too late. Well, anyway, it's not not what Tyler. We're not talking about what Tyler. We're not talking about um, oh um Scotland. We are. Oh, we are. We're talking about oh, what's his name? Mel Gibson. William Wallace. Mel William Wallace. <laughs> We're talking about Mel Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that we always talk about at Smithfield is the execution, the hanging, drawing, and quartering of William Wallace. Now, Smithfield was a place of execution. I did not realise, though, until I was researching this, that that execution was done as part of the fair. <gasps> no. Yeah. So oh, on that the just Eve... changes the whole visual, mm-hmm. doesn't it? When you it tell really people does. that, oh my goodness me. So it was almost, I mean, we, you know, as guys, we do talk about executions in a variety of places and how there were days of the year. It wasn't every year, day it was happening, but there were days of the year, which are loosely what our bank holidays are today. Um and people would come for a day out to watch people be executed. So it's almost a form of entertainment. So I hadn't realised that it was part of this fair, but it was. Wow. On the eve, so the first day of these three days. So it was William within Wallace the was, close. So that area was within the close. Um, it would have been, yeah. would have been within oh. the close at that point. Wow. Yeah. That's quite shocking when you think about it, really, isn't it? It really is. Because it really takes on another... Because you've got people just in the background that are just purchasing their items and mm. there for other things. And then suddenly they're like, oh, come over here, love. We've got an execution. Yeah. Oh, who is it? Oh, Wallace is mm. getting his, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Um, God. Unbelievable. Now, the whole thing, as you can tell, is going to sort of peter out, really. Um, so when it changes into September, as I mentioned, the theatres all sort of peter out. Uh, there, in fact, there is there's some of the I've just remembered a couple of other things that were included in in stuff that used to happen at the fair. Um, they had ventriloquists and waxworks, but one of the best things was is they had a pig who you could blindfold the pig. He could tell the time while blindfolded, which you know all pigs can tell it unblindfolded, obviously. Um, but blindfolded, he can tell the time, and he can pick out a specified card from a pack of cards as well. Now, of course, he can't. This is obviously sleight of hand and all that oh kind of stuff. Oh, my goodness yeah. me. Yeah. There was also an elephant that uncorked bottles. Uncorked bottles. <laughs> yeah. There was a, a glass blower who would literally stand there and he he, he wore a wig made out of glass. What? And he would um, blow teacups. So you could buy teacups. He'd blow for you right there. Um, they had a, um, a thing where they had uh, eggs of baby crocodiles and they had a steam contraption, which, you know, obviously heated it up. And so you could see the baby crocodiles being hatched, which <gasps> from the steam that's sort of, you know, keeping them warm. Uh, just, yeah, amazing, the sort of things that were there. I, I'm going to say it outstrips May, the Mayfair. 
I think, I it, think does. it does. You know, it makes <laughs> Winter Wonderland it's seem wonderful. a little bit um, yeah. downgraded. Exactly. Goodness me. So this this it limps on until the mid mid to late eighteen hundreds. Um, after it moves to September, these things, yeah, it starts to peter out a little bit, and gradually crime goes up. Mm. Um, the city starts imposing more and more restrictions on it. And in the end, 1840s, it's it's a pretty poor version of what it used to be. And the last one is 1855. That's when it all came over, job done. So wow. from 1133 to 1855, that is a pretty decent run right there. Gosh, Just over 700 that's years. incredible. But it's not, it's not a surprise. I mean, the way that you've described it. Wow. I mean, yeah. people back then just really loved to be entertained and, you know, watching a pig be blindfolded and <laughs> telling the time. You can imagine how many people, like, surrounded the pig in absolute awe. I know. I want to see the guy in his glass wig. I want to see his that. His glass wig. Yeah, yeah, it sounds very kind of Merlin-esque. I love it. Does, it? it? It's fantastic. Wow. That's so brilliant. that's the Bartholomew's Fair. Gosh, that's absolutely fantastic. And I have to say, I've never seen you gesture so much during a pod. You were, you were all also, over. I am a lot less tired this week than I have been. I've started taking iron and vitamin D and it's doing a world of good. I was going to say, you know, at two minutes to 11pm, you're... I'm pretty chirpy. You, yes, you really are. Gosh. Well, thank so you, Alex. Go. That was wonderful. Was Very entertaining. Podcast Pedestal. Well, podcast pedestal then. Wow. It's my turn to pick. Now, I had a couple of things that were in my head. One of them is um, the course of pie powder, which I think is pretty fun. Mm. But I actually think I'm going to go with William Wallace. Ooh. Because when I found out that, that, that his execution was done as part of this fair, it properly floored me. It made me just go, what? Yeah. So I think for me, it has to be, it has to be, yeah, the execution of William Wallace as part of the fair. Okay. Well, but I one. was very tempted with the court of pie powders because it's so wonderfully bonkers. Well, there's quite a few, quite a few different things. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm going to go for Rahir's sandal. <gasps> oh. Yeah, because I think that, you know, he was such an important figure for creating the area. Um, to what it was during the fair and to what it is now and i think that his powers over the area and this kind of power on this family um of the gentleman who stole it and then to give it back like mm. a haunted film you know where you've taken something or moved something that you shouldn't so now all these kind of strange things start to happen yeah um yeah i think i'm gonna go for rahir's sandal great choice so those are your choices, gang. Rahir's sandal or the execution of William Wallace. Mm. I feel like we could have gone a lot sillier, but I like what we've gone with. We, yeah, we could have done because there are a lot of different things in the fair that you mentioned that would Life have me. And, yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that just if you could kind of flick, you know, click your fingers and be somewhere just to kind of capture the atmosphere and the people and the reactions. Well, you know, what we could do is we could do one more worthy and one more silly and have two oh, we could do couldn't we that could get my score up <laughs> should we do that um, we have all, two right, options? Do, all right let's do that i don't know if i okay. can fit it on the poll but yeah let's do no, that we, we do two separate ones 
Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, of course. She said once. <laughs> okay, all right. What's your, what's your silly one? I think my sillier one, I think I'm going to go for the Court of Pie Powders for that one. I think I might have to go for the wife selling. Wife selling, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. So we have Sandal two podcast pedestals wife. this week, gang. Yeah, come on, <laughs> two points. Because what am I now? I'm 18 now, I think. Yeah. 18, 22. Because you won it last week, didn't you? Yes. Did I? Yes, I think, I think. so. I just say yes, yes automatically. <laughs> so 18, 22. So I can, you know, who knows? We've got one more next week. Yeah, we could do two, eh? Good. <laughs> so, um, okay. two for you this week, gang. One, one more worthy, and one more, one more silly. Fabulous! Great, thanks, Alex. The wheel of destiny. It's wheel o'clock. It's wheel o'clock. Gosh, have we ever had a wheel this late before? Uh, we have not. Well, actually, no. I lied. We did one a day late. So yeah, we've okay, one late. That's true. Um, okay, I'm ready. Crack on. Here we go. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I've wanted it in the Thames for a very long time. <laughs> Have you now? <laughs> that was a very cute giggle. <laughs> oh, silly. Um, <laughs> I know what I want to talk about. I'm going to talk about the Great Flood of 1928. Oh. Great Flood of Nine is very festive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is it meant to be festive? No, the Christmas episode is the one after. <laughs> so I'll drown people with misery for uh, one Let's week. Let's do that and then we'll <laughs> bring them back up again. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'd like to talk about um, one of quite a few times when the Thames... Uh, when uh, when the Thames flooded, or oh. when London flooded, so yes, I'm going to talk about that. And the lions you, you are drinking. Look... London is sinking. Exactly. Yes. Mm. You look you look riveted by this uh, this idea. I am very riveted. <laughs> I'll tell my eyebrows to call. Just like the rivets that we uh, that we spoke of during the dig episode. Absolutely. Well, that'll do for this week, then, gang. I've got an hour to edit this and get it up before it becomes ah, Thursday you can do it I don't think we've had too many edits too many stops no, actually we hadn't, I haven't had any apart from the dog I don't think we have no. fabulous well there we go there we it'll go. be in your odd libraries what, what do we call that pod basket of basket of pods uh, very shortly gang um, thanks for listening yes as always thank you so much thank you so much um, we'll see you next week for some Thames action <laughs> <laughs> perfect can't wait <laughs> see you then bye, bye.